I want to pause here before we get started in going into God's word and just pray for some of our church family. I, I may miss some, but I know two very specific prayers right before us right here. I want to pray um, first for the file family. Uh, Janice and um, Mark File um, have lost uh, a family member this week. Uh, Ethel File passed away this week, and we want to lift them up in prayer. And then I want to also want to pray for Bob Funderburk. He always sits right here on Wednesday night, and uh, uh, Bob is in the hospital. And we have great hope for Bob, but he's had a tough couple weeks, so we're going to lift him up in prayer as well. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for the ability to gather here, and we know we can come before you through the name of Jesus. Because he didn't take a shortcut, as Dee said, that, that he became our intercessor. He became the, our go-between between us and, and you. And we're crying out through his name for help for our brother, Bob. Give him peace and comfort. Let the test be, uh, bring clarity to his, his uh, um, just struggle tonight. And I pray f- for peace for his family. We also pray that you be with the extended file family as we remember and celebrate Ethel this week. And uh, we thank you that she's a believer, and we rejoice and have the hope of seeing her again. In Jesus' name, amen. Dee said it well. For Jesus, there was no shortcut. The truth is, Jesus suffered and died for us on a cross uh, much more cruel than this. Maybe you've never considered that. Jesus died for you. I know you're probably very much part of the faithful here on Wednesday night as we come in the middle of the summer to come here. But uh, if you've never heard this or if you heard it for a thousand times, tuck this way in your heart. Let it be a marker. Jesus died for you. He was separated from his Father in heaven because of our sin. For some of us, that's hard to comprehend. Why would God do that? It almost seems impossible to understand But that's how much God loves you. If you ever have a day, if you ever have a moment, it it may just be a a matter of a few minutes where you're thinking no one loves you, no one cares for you. Think on the cross and it's a reminder of how much God loves you. And you never have to wonder if you were loved when you understand his great love that he poured out for us on the cross. John explains it this way in 1 John chapter 4. God showed how much he loved us. That includes you. By sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. It's not an affection. It's not just an attraction. This is true love. Not that we love God, that he he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. The truth is, my sin and your sin is why Jesus went to the cross. It's only by the awareness of our great sin that we have a, a, a proper appreciation and respect for our great Savior, Jesus. There were no shortcuts. Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 2. He committed no sin and no deceit was found on his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He trusted himself to the Father's will. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. There were no shortcuts. He literally became sin at the moment he was on the cross on our behalf, on your behalf. It was at that moment when sin entered into his body that the father turned away from him and he was separated. For the first and last time ever, Jesus suffered separation because of my sin and yours. Sure, we can blame the Romans. They didn't create crucifixion, but they mastered it. They perfected it. 
They had uh, uh, begun, uh, understood the tactic of killing someone by a cross from other cultures, but they did it more painfully than anyone. In fact, a Roman crucifixion would often last days. Uh, people dying, not because of a loss of blood, but often uh, suffocation from their body hanging from their arms and no longer being able to catch a breath. It was their soldiers who physically nailed Jesus to the cross. It was their soldiers who put a crown of thorns on his head. It was one of their soldiers who pierced his side and had blood and water come out, signifying that his heart had burst, I believe, under the weight of our sin. You could blame them, or you could blame the Jews, especially their leaders. If you want to name names, his name was Caiaphas, the high priest. Him and his friends organized the whole thing. They manipulated the government. They manipulated the people uh, all to put Jesus on the cross. You could blame him. The Jewish leaders, the Roman soldiers, you could blame, blame the crowd. They're the ones that cried, crucify him, crucify him. Or you could blame Judas, Jesus' own friend and own disciple who betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. We like to cast blame, but the reality is If you want to look for who's responsible, you don't have to look any further than this room. Myself and your sin is what placed him on the cross. We are responsible for Jesus being crucified. We we play a a first-hand role in his crucifixion. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture. This is not according to my opinion. This is not a a, a uh, long-standing tradition. This is according to God's word. Christ's perfect body was broken. Uh, His blood was shed because of our sin on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, For God made Christ who had never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we might be made right with God through him, through Christ. As strange as that may sound, that was the plan from the beginning. Remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden and and they were deceived and God had these words with the serpent, with the great deceiver, and he says, hey, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. This was planned from that moment. Even before that, God had a desire to, to be in a relationship with you so much that he was willing to give his son, that he would die so that you could live. Jesus also indicates that it was a plan And he had the power to to execute it. He says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. Jesus gave himself for our sins. Uh, And those of you who have accepted forgiveness, you can look at this uh, marker in life, in your mind, in your memory, and know with confidence that you can live forever. Let let it be a marker. On Sunday, it was not only a marker of a regathering point, but we put the cross and our faith in Jesus Christ at the center of everything we believe again because that's where hope is found. And that hope changes everything. Paul tells us this about the marker we can have in life. Another marker uh, after the cross in our memory is a definite marker that we share with Christ in baptism because when we're baptized in the watery grave of baptism, the Bible makes it clear that we share in his death connected to the cross. But when we come up out of the water, we share in his resurrection to live forever. Here's what it says in Colossians chapter two. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. So if you shared in that, you were buried with him in his death. And with him, you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. 
Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. I love the image of that. Sometimes we just think his body was nailed to the cross, but his body became sin. So when he was nailed to the cross, our sin was nailed to the cross. Paul is saying Christ paid the debt in full. It's not like he left some of your sin hanging around. It was nailed to the cross. So you could be set free. So your debt could be paid. What a relief and joy to have a debt paid. If you're probably over the age of 13, which I quick scan across the room, we all are here tonight over the age of 13. I'm thankful the children are in the other part of the building. Uh, But it's not until you get a little older you realize the, the burden of debt. Raise your hand if you've ever paid the last bill of, say, a car loan or a mortgage, and you just felt that relief and that joy. You ever had that moment? When the, the, uh, I remember the days where we had the payment books. That was our first car loan. It had a payment book. I almost, I almost liked that book so you could see it get smaller and smaller. But when, when, you can, when you can dispose of that thing, it's great joy. Even whenever you have the ability to pay for it all along, maybe you're just doing it over time, there, there's this relief when it's done. It can happen in small ways when that joy and relief happens. Recently, uh, the Graber family, after a Comet baseball game right over here, uh, it was kind of went extra innings and it was, it was dark and all of us were in town and we realized we had not prepared anything to eat at home, so we had nothing ready. And we decided to go to Joe's Pizza for supper. Well, we, we got one of those big tables and it was the all-you-can-eat spaghetti night, so the boys got that and while we can have spaghetti anytime at home, they thought that we can eat as much as we want, so they did and we were there like an hour and whenever I finally went to pay the bill, no one had brought me the bill yet. And so I went up to the, to the register, and our own wait, waitress was there, and she says, Tyson, your bill has been paid in full. She said those words. And I was like, well, I, I know what that means, but I said, well, how much, how much do I still owe? And she goes, no, Tyson, it's taken care of. And there was in that moment, even though I had the resources in my back pocket to take care of that, there was a relief and joy at that moment where I realized someone cared for me enough to, to do that for myself and my family. If it can, if it can do that over some spaghetti and a, a few pieces of pizza and salad, it's just think how much more we need to be reminded of every time we realize our debt has been paid in full because of our sins that we can't pay for on our own. We never could pay for it. And Christ did it for each of us. What a great joy and relief. But he didn't stop there. Look, look on to this passage. It says this. In the same way, just as he nailed our sins to the cross, in the same way he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. I want to pause right here for a second. What's he talking about there? He is talking about the reality that there are spiritual rulers and authorities of evil in this world. Until Christ returns, Satan prowls around this world like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And this scripture says these spiritual rulers and authorities are disarmed by the powers of the cross. And if we allow him to take away our sin, it disarms the ability for them to to wreak havoc on us, to, to, to condemn us in any way. It says he shamed them publicly by the victory over them on the cross. When we see the cross, we see a victory. When, we, when Satan sees the cross, it's a reminder that, of his defeat forever. This is a victory that we only can know through Jesus. But he, must, he had to die. He must be buried and rise again. And it changed everything. It changed us the position to live. 
And here's the transition of this moment. If you've never realized Christ died for you, you need to make a decision tonight. I believe if you're hearing this for the first time, there's no reason you can't join with him in that death and resurrection tonight. Most of you, however, have already done that. So how should we live? Paul tells Titus and he tells us, we're called to live to do what is good. Look, listen, listen to the scripture. Titus chapter 3. It says, at one time you two were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. You could also say this, I think, all kinds of sin. We live with malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He poured it out through the cross so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life, this hope that changes everything. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. So here's what we're going to stress tonight. Since we understand Christ saved us by his grace, not by our own works, he goes, live this way, stress this, so that those who have been trusted in God, who've trusted in God, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. That's not a great burden. He says, once you've realized this and you've been saved, and you realize you're saved by his mercy, not by the righteous things you've done, make sure you devote yourselves to doing good. Last week we talked a lot about the Old Testament focus was on make sure you don't do bad things. Remember, there were 365 different things not to do in the Old Testament, and many of them are still honorable not to do. Do not covet, do not commit adultery, do not do this or that, you know, all these different things. But there's a transition. When Christ died, those do do not things are taken away. So he says, in light of our relationship, I want you to focus on doing good. My challenge is for you, the thing that Paul stresses to you and I tonight is that we would devote ourselves to doing good, to living a healthy life based on a healthy relationship with Christ. Not trying to achieve something of goodness, but realizing we've been made right with him to live in the right way. Reminds me of a story I heard about a woman who was married to a miserable man. It was a terrible relationship. For one, uh, one reason or another, uh, she was engaged in this marriage, and, and it lasted for a number of years. But right off the beginning of the marriage, this guy uh, instituted 25 rules this woman was to follow. And they were miserable rules, rules about when she could get up, when she could uh, uh, go to sleep, what she could eat, what she could spend money on, what room of the house she had to clean on Monday, and, and the rest of, of the week. There were 25 rules that she, he demanded so that he would be honored in their relationship. And she hated the rules. And after a time, she hated him because of his hard heart and legalism. She was miserable until the moment he mysteriously passed away and she was released from that marriage. She stayed faithful to him in marriage, but at the moment he died, she felt freed from his legalism and hard-heartedness. A few years later, she fell in love with another man and she remarried. This second husband was completely different. He cherished her. He complimented her. He valued her. He continually encouraged her. And she felt more and more in love with him every day. And one day this woman was cleaning around the house and she did what most of us do at least once a year. She was cleaning out her junk drawer. How many of you guys have one of those junk drawers in your house? 
just that drawer where you don't know where anything goes, so you stick in there. She's cleaning out. By the time she gets the back of it, she picks out this piece of paper, and it was one of the first original list of 25 things that this first husband wanted her to do. And she read through the list, and she began to smile. She began to giggle a little bit. She, she was surprised. She thought this list was going to uh, make her very frustrated. But she realized pretty quickly that the joy and, and the, the jubilation that she had from looking at that old list was the realization that while her first husband demanded she did these things and she was miserable because there was no love, it was based on legalism, she realized she was doing all those 25 things and more because she loved this husband. And she wanted to honor him. And it was a joy to... to to serve him and be a partner with him because she cherished him and he cherished her. See, the list had not changed of the things she was doing, but what changed was a loving relationship. In much the same way, we as Christians, when we realize how much God has loved us through Jesus, we don't have to focus on what we have to do, but we focus on what we get to be devoted to doing to show our love for him. An unhealthy religious relationship will be a burden. Guys, God is not calling us to a burden of religion. He's calling us to the blessing of relationship. I didn't even say that Sunday. That's good. Please hear this. God doesn't want you bogged down with religion, worried about if you're going to go to hell. He has saved you to live, so live. Jesus says, my laws, my rules are not burdensome. But this is assuming that you belong to him. Understanding what Christ has done for us leads us to be devoted to doing what's good. Jesus takes it to another level, though. This series of messages we're in is called The Tough Teachings of Jesus. Right now, you're like, oh, I can handle that. Look what Jesus says. He takes it to another level. This is where it gets tough. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That verse is on the wall of my office, cut out from metal the elders gave me my first year I was here. They know it was very much dear to my heart that daily we're to take up our cross. And Jesus says, while this is not burdensome, this is difficult. This is saying we're going to fall in the footsteps of Jesus daily and push away our selfish desires and our sinful wishes to be submitted to his will. Taking up our cross does not mean we're going to be crucified on the cross. In my teenage years, I thought that that was maybe what Christ was talking about. While that would be actually, sometimes it would be done and over with, Christ is saying daily, submit to me. Honor the will of the Father. The purpose of the cross in our minds and our hearts is to fall in the footsteps of Jesus and say, Father, I'm going to do your will even when I feel like being selfish, when I feel like giving into sin. It's not in an effort to make a better version of ourselves. We need to remember that every day we take up a cross doesn't mean uh, we're getting better on our, own, uh, on our own strength, but we are becoming more like Christ and mature like him. When we're completely sold out to Christ and following him and sacrificing for his glory, what he receives is praise and glory. And in that moment, in that action of of pushing away your own selfish desires to serve someone else, to help someone else, uh, to declare praise to him, to to point someone into the the good news, we uh, follow his example and we truly do become disciples. If you want to be my disciple, do these things. But if you don't, you know what you become? And I'm afraid what we are in some of this, and that's why we have to stress this, when we don't take up our cross daily to submit to his will, you know what we are? Our distractions is the disciples. 
I don't know if you've ever noticed this. When you claim to be a Christian with your mouth and then do what you want with your lifestyle, we're hypocrites. In fact, I get those words almost from what I thought was a DC Talk song. Back in the mid-90s in the Jesus Freak album, uh, DC Talk said these words, but they were actually originally said by Bree Manning. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and deny him by their lifestyle. And when we do that, we're distractions instead of disciples. But here's the good news. On the flip side of being a distraction, when we truly become disciples, God receives glory and Christ is magnified. On the flip side of, uh, of being a hypocrite, when, when it makes us mock what Jesus does on the cross. Uh, when we're his disciples, we celebrate and people look to him and, and are saved by him because if we're committed to following him, they, they become interested in the hope we have that's changed our lives. The good news of Jesus at that point then will be heard by more and more and more. I'm going to ask the band to come right now and we're going to sing a song of decision and I want to share with you some of the lyrics that are from the bridge. Here's what the song's going to say, and I would ask you to commit to living it. It says, if the cross brings transformation, I think the author says, is saying, if the cross takes us from death to life, then I will be crucified with you because the death is just the doorway into your resurrection life. And if I join with you in your suffering, if, if I uh, submit to you even when it hurts, then I will join you win your eyes. Christ be magnified in me. I have a simple question for you tonight. First of all, have you trusted Jesus in his saving grace? Have you realized that he went to the cross and died for your sins? If you've never done that, if you've never confessed him as Lord and Savior, if you've never shared with him in baptism and been united with him in his death and been united with him in his life, that invitation is open. And if you have, like most of you have, the challenge is, to make a commitment to magnify Christ every day that you live. To do it by your actions, by your words, by being still and knowing that he is God. Would you stand with me? Father in heaven, help us to magnify Jesus in what he's done and what he's doing in our lives. Lord, if someone is here tonight and has never uh, received his, his grace, if someone's here tonight never been buried in baptism and, and had their sins washed away and come up a brand new person, Lord, each of us, as we go from here, let us magnify you by the way we live to share the gospel with those who are lost and hurting in the hope that changed everything. In your son's name we pray, amen.